Good morning and welcome, especially if you're visiting this morning. And I want to give a very special welcome to my guests, Patrick and Carol, sitting over there with Beverly. Patrick was the curate at the Church in London when I became a Christian 45 years ago. And he was also one of the youth leaders. So uh, he had some influence on where I am today. Over the years, we lost contact because Patrick was a chaplain in the army and travelled all over the world. But we just discovered about six months ago that they've moved to Gloucester. So we've made, been getting in touch again, and it's been great. <clears throat> but thinking of them, it reminded me that we had two curates at the time. The other one was John and his wife, Christine. Um, they used to run the Pathfinder group for 11 to 14-year-olds. And Christine was one of those very clever people who got you involved in things without you realising you were getting involved. So I started helping on the club night where they had crafts and games and various things going on. And then she suggested it would be good if I came along on the Sundays as well because it was a rule for the children that if they came to the Monday club night, they had to come on Sunday. So it would be good if the leaders came to the Sunday as well. I didn't even realise I was a leader at that stage. And yet before long, I was giving a talk and then... Well, John and Christine were leaving the church, so who was going to take over running the Pathfinder group? Uh, Well, I did agree to do it in a partnership with Chris Garrod, who um, Patrick will remember. And we had some fun, but I'm not sure how much we taught the youngsters. But we had a great team of six or seven helpers. Most of us were in our 20s, but there was this one older man. He was one of those people who was very keen but you wouldn't actually give him any responsibility unless you were happy for it to go wrong kind of thing. And, but he was very keen to, to promote the Scripture Union holidays. So he sent off for the brochures, and when they came in, he said, could he give a notice on the Monday evening after the club night? And I said, yes, fine. And so he got, you know, we, we'd done all our games, and we'd done everything. Everybody was getting ready to go home over to him. And so he started saying, so some of you went last year, didn't you? And I, I know you really enjoyed it. There are lots of different places to go. You might go to the countryside or you might go to the seaside. Some of them are mixed camps. Some are for just for boys. Some are for girls. They might be for five days or a week or maybe even ten days. And then he said, I don't know why it is, but the girls seem to have longer periods. Come on, you're mature adults. Um, But can you imagine what it was like with a group of 15 or so teenagers? I mean, some of them were giggling, some were acutely embarrassed, but it was the leaders, the rest of us, who were struggling the most not to giggle. I was practically crying when I did the prayer at the end. Anyway, to our reading. We're looking this week at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Continuing the series in Ephesians following chosen in Christ and alive in Christ. And this week we're looking at power in Christ. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that it is work that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So Paul starts, for this reason. Now some folk today would say that sometimes Paul's writings can be difficult to follow. And maybe it was the same at the time. We do know that on one occasion when he was preaching, a young man called Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the window in Acts chapter 20. It's always occurred to me that that was most unfortunate. He could have fallen asleep anywhere else and no one would have known. But then, of course, I realized that maybe people were always falling asleep and we don't hear about them because they weren't sitting by the window. Because Paul would sometimes go off on a tangent away from what he was intending to say. And this is actually what had just happened here in Ephesians 3. In verse 1, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he has a thought. A thought that goes on for 12 verses. I'll just read the highlighted verses. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Paul had been distracted with the magnitude of what God had given to him, the grace to share the truth of the gospel, that Jews and Gentiles can be really one in Christ. An unimaginable concept previously. By Judaic law, if a rabbi entered a, a Gentile home, he would have had to undergo ritual cleansing afterwards because they just, they just weren't allowed to mix. And yet now Paul was understanding that all were one in Christ and he was marveling at that realization. So then in verse 14, he comes back to what he was going to say. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For what reason? Well, because of all that he'd been saying earlier in chapters 1 and 2 that we've heard from Steve and Peter in the last couple of weeks. We're chosen in Christ. We're alive in Christ. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I don't think many of us do kneel these days to pray. When I grew up, that was exactly how you prayed. But in Paul's day, they didn't do that. They generally stood to pray. Kneeling in prayer was a sign of deep emotion and earnestness. In verse 1 of the chapter, he doesn't mention kneeling. And some commentators believe that he only knelt here 
after realizing the magnificence of God's plan for Jew and Gentile that he'd just been considering. He was suddenly overwhelmed with deep emotion and earnestness. It seems as if he hadn't realized how important it was before, that the kingdom of God is open to everyone, regardless of background, race, or tradition. I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Jew or Gentile, whoever we might be, we all have the same heavenly Father. We can all trace our lineage back to the creator of the universe. In the ancient Near East, naming something amounted to bringing it into existence, giving it identity and exercising authority over it. We all share the name Christian. It gives us an identity together. As believers, we're all, <clears throat> we're all one family in Christ around the world. Interesting that today is Unity Sunday. We're together with all those other believers. We don't always agree with them. We may even have some serious differences in theology. But I always remember something I heard from the publishing director of Hodder and Stoughton, He was challenged about the fact that they might publish books from two people of completely different theological backgrounds. He said, if both authors can say that for them Jesus is Lord, that's okay with me. We're family. We need each other for strength and support. In verse 14 of our passage, some modern translations add the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a little observation about this, because although they're modern translations, they're actually drawing from more manuscripts than some of the older translations had access to. I regularly sell Bibles to members of one particular denomination who've been brought up to believe that the King James Bible is the only translation. The NIV is almost a swear word to them because they say it's changed some of the King James's meaning and even deleting some words and phrases from the original Bible. But what I can't get them to understand is the fact that the modern translations have many more original tr- manuscripts to work from. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which were only discovered after the Second World War, contain texts that were written long before the manuscripts used by the King James Version in the 1600s. So newer translations are using older originals. And obviously it's presumed that because the originals are older, they're closer to the original words that would have been passed down from generation to generation. And secondly, translations like the NIV brought scholars together from different theological perspectives so that no one could actually use the text to put forward their own particular bias. They all had to agree on the correct translation of the words before they were published. Whereas the King James translators actually had a definite evangelical message that they wanted to put across. So it's possible that sometimes they did make the words fit their particular point of view, maybe even adding words or phrases. But let's return to our passage. Paul prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
He wants us to recognize the glorious riches of God's resources for us. That God wants to give us strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Apparently the Greek word used here for in implies being infused. It's not just a case of the power just sort of being temporarily there. No, the power is infused in you. Christ gives you that power deep within and it's there to stay. Calvin said, it's not enough that he be on the tongue or flit through the brain. The heart is his proper seat. But maybe you don't feel that you have power. Do you feel weak? Or vulnerable. God will strengthen you through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your heart. What a promise. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It was actually my suggestion to go back to those children's songs. And I heard a bit of a groan when Agnes mentioned them, but the the way we all sang was so enthusiastic, it was wonderful. But you know, that second one is a bit daft, isn't it? Who wants to see if they can get round the love of Christ or under the love of Christ? We just want to dwell within it. But, you know, I like, <clears throat> I like to do a bit of gardening. And I've tried in the past to grow all kinds of things from cuttings. I've dip, dipped them in all kinds of rooting powders and gels, and I always fail. But when we first moved to Gloucestershire, <clears throat> we had a, a, an old gnarled rose tree, rose bush, that was in the wrong place. It was where we were building an extension. So I tried to dig it up to move it. I started with a fork and then I moved on to a spade and eventually I started hacking at it with a pickaxe and it just wouldn't budge. And I realized it couldn't be transplanted. It it was going to have to be destroyed and in fact I'd done a pretty good job of that already. But I did manage to find one little branch that had a little bit of furry, hairy root on the bottom of it and I planted that where I'd originally planned to move the rose too. And amazingly, it took. And it's now an impressive shrub. And people who walk past our house quite often comment on it as they go by. All a plant needs to get a decent start is some roots. Once we make that first connection with Christ, our roots can take hold. We can become established in love and God will give us power to understand. But we can't do it all on our own. We do need the people around us, together with all the Lord's holy people. I found this quote from BibleProject.com while preparing to speak today. The gospel unifies diverse believers who are all empowered by one spirit to serve and love each other as they build up the church body. We are diverse, different people but we're given power by the one Holy Spirit so that we can serve each other and love each other 
while working together to build one another up, strengthening and growing the church. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. At the time of what was known as the Toronto Blessing, I heard a Canadian pastor telling how he'd been leading a service when all kinds of manifestations were taking place. But he was drawn to one man who was lying on the floor, shouting out, Big God! Big God! He thought this was very strange. So afterwards he went over to him and asked him what it was all about. The man told him that he was actually a pastor himself of a small church. But every day, travelling to and from work, he would drive past a spiritualist church. It was a large church. It gave him the creeps as he considered how many people were being misled by the false teaching and the misguided hope of that place. It was big, popular and prosperous. His church felt so small and insignificant. But that night on the floor, God had revealed himself as a much bigger God than anything being taught in the spiritualist place. Much bigger than any church. The God of the universe. He's a big God. He was only a small pastor leading a small church, but he worshipped the big God. Nothing is impossible to him. When we're rooted in Christ, we can understand how wide, long, high and deep his love is. He's a big God with big love. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that it is work, I keep saying that wrong, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're promised power through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, power as we live and worship together as believers. And we will receive love that stretches beyond anything we've known or can imagine. Perhaps you're sitting there thinking this is all very well. Lovely words, but not for me. It's okay for everyone around me this morning, but why would God bother with me? I always let him down. I try, but I constantly fail. Well, when I was a young Christian... We went on a week's house party to the Gaines in Worcestershire, and Patrick was there. During that week, hearing various talks and testimonies, I began to think, this wasn't for me, I'm not good enough. I went into one evening meeting feeling quite miserable, and I went forward for prayer at the end and told the speaker, David, how I felt. And he showed me this verse. Deuteronomy 33:27 The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He assured me and I've never forgotten we can never fall so low that we're below God's ability to lift us back up again. God's love is so big that none of us can really understand it and sometimes it can be confusing. If he loves me, why did he allow that to happen? But a toddler can sometimes wonder why the parent doesn't give them what they want, and the parent does know best. 
God is in a vastly elevated position over us than any parents have ever been over their child. So have we ever any right to question him, even when it hurts? We need to trust, and maybe we'll understand one day. In a tiny example of this, early in our marriage, Beverly and I cried over being gazumped over a house we believed was right for us. Why, God? Then we found a better house at a cheaper price, and we ended up living there for nearly 30 years. Sometimes we've no right to think we know best. But even knowing that God knows best doesn't always stop the hurt, the pain, or the questions. So if you're hurting physically or emotionally, please take the opportunity to come this morning to the front for ministry at the end of the service. I was actually going to suggest that we prayed for each other now, but we've already done that. (laughs) So I don't think we need to do it again. But do take the opportunity to come forward. When I was at Bible college, we had students of all denominations, from Anglo-Catholic through to Brethren, although it was essentially an Anglican college. And although I didn't always agree with the other students, I learned so much from their different perspectives. I think I went to, to college believing that you had to go to Christchurch North Finchley to be a real Christian. <clears throat> but I learned so much about how other people had a faith in God that was different from mine, but just as valid. And I hope that while I learned from other people, some of them might have learned something from me. And one guy, Richard, did learn something from me because he told me so. He actually became my best man eventually. But early on in the year, he mentioned how he couldn't bear the Anglican liturgy of reciting the same prayers over and over every day. And I told him that I'd felt the same way, but I'd grown to love them when I started realizing actually what the words were saying rather than just reciting them week by week, day by day. I told him to just pay attention to the words that he was saying. And he later came back to me and said that my comments had transformed his appreciation of prayers in chapel. So it's easy to read the passage we've had today and not pay much attention, partly because some of it might be so familiar. But let's take it as a time of prayer now. You might want to follow the words on the screen as I read them, or you might want to close your eyes. However you find it easiest to concentrate, you might want to stand up, you might want to kneel down, or you might want to stay sitting. But I'm going to read it out for us all, and I'm going to read it twice. First in the NIV that we've read already, but then in the message version, which brings it into today's language and gives a different perspective. Let these words speak deeply to you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, 
to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. My response, says Paul, is to get down on my knees before the Father. This magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. That Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.